When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted. By Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? Live on a Thursday evening. Thank you so much for joining us, those of you that are here. I know we said we'd be live after every practice, but a couple things going on yesterday. Uh, Ryan's a little bit under the weather. We uh, we had a practice. The last practice was yesterday. I had a baseball uh, Little League practice yesterday. So I said, hey, let's wrap this thing up. Give, give ourselves some time to digest what we've seen this week. We'll come back with a big show to, to send us into a, a mini vacation here. Uh, on Thursday night. This is the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast. Welcome in. Joined as always by Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino. And if you notice, we got uh, an old friend back on board. This is the Shout Bills football podcast brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your your friendly neighborhood store. And we're so excited to have them back in the mix. I um, I have a Tops right around the corner from my house. So that's where I frequent the most, especially on the on the move, and I love tops for for that reason specifically. You can get in and out of there. It's never like this, you know, um, full production that it might be at some other spots. And also, I got to throw out there too. I was in Orchard Park for minicamp this week, and it, lo and behold, I just stopped in at a tops because I needed something really quickly. Orchard Park might have the nicest tops I have ever seen in my life. About three or four minutes from the stadium. If you've never been there, go check it out. Uh, we wanted to lead off with that. We're so thankful to have them on board again for this season. They see uh, the, the you know they wanted to you know partner up, and we're excited to have them back. So with that in mind, Ryan, how are you? Hey, I'm doing better. Uh, voice is better from yesterday. Feeling better from yesterday. So uh, uh, you know, bouncing back from whatever little cold I had going on. All right, so the Bills, the Bills finished up minicamp yesterday. They only had two days uh, of practices for what was originally uh, scheduled for three days. Now I, I seen some people on social media be like, "Oh, what's going on with uh, you know canceled third day?" It's very common. Uh, you know, you come in here. You know the uh, the team likes you know the coaching staff probably you know uses it maybe as a motivational tool. Uh, but you know some teams actually cancel their minicamp altogether, and so. Uh, you know, getting out of there a, a day early. I mean, this is a vet- veteran-laden bunch. 
I wasn't very surprised by that. Um, some great uh, reminders in the comments. Some of our regulars, Elliot uh, Eisler over there, uh, hit that like button if you would, if you're watching on YouTube. Also, smash that subscribe button. Ryan, we're going to get into all my observations from yesterday. Um, often um, imitated, never duplicated. This is where you need to be, the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast for observations from the practice field. And we're going to get into a lot of them today, Ryan. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. You know, Matt is there. He, he There's certain things he can say and cannot say, but most importantly, he is there. So he gives us a, a great glimpse of what's happening, what's to come, and gives us an idea of how these veterans are looking as well as some of these younger players on the roster. All right, so let's start off at the top with, and I did it for you, partner. Uh, you know, one of your favorites, Antonio Williams, has a big day yesterday. I wanted to get started right there. Um, the first play that really popped for me, and we're going to get into the, the running back conversation a little bit more in depth here, was, you know, nothing crazy. It was a bang-bang a, a play, run up the middle, uh, ran it in for a touchdown, kind of went untouched. It was actually surprising. It, he kind of was almost like a blur out of the backfield, and they were mixing in some run and some pass yesterday uh, throughout, uh, you know, the um, the practice. But, but Williams had a chance to, you know, take advantage of an opportunity, and he did that. Uh, on another play, he, he took a, a throw from out of the backfield, ran what I think would have been a touchdown in a real game situation as well. So you go back to Miami last year, that, that season finale game against the Dolphins, and Antonio Williams puts in two touchdowns. He's kind of picking up where he left off. I know there's no pads, but hey, it's June and we need something to talk about. A nice day for him with Matt Breida, uh nursing uh, whatever injury that he has. We, we, we haven't gotten clarification on that. Um, but he missed uh, both practices this week. So Antonio Williams ha had a chance to, you know, make some plays and he did. Yeah. Don't forget about Antonio Williams when you're talking about this running back depth chart in 2021. Uh, I know there was a running joke last year where he would get released from the practice squad, come back on. And it felt like he was bounced on and off of that thing about 10 times. But anytime a player is released and then re-signed that many times, it actually tells you how much they actually do value him. It's just tough when, they were in a pandemic year and they already had a lot of running backs, but they kept bringing him back because they said, there's something here with this guy. There's some talent. Former, I believe, four-star running back, uh, played at North Carolina. A lot of talent in terms of special teams, too. And then when he finally did get that opportunity against the Dolphins, he ran all over him. He was good out of the backfield as a receiver. He can do a little bit of everything. And I think his skill set is exactly what the Bills are looking for with the running back position. So while they have invested in Devin Singletary and Zach Moss and they added Matt Breida, don't forget about Williams. I think he can really factor into the backfield in 2021. Yeah, I like Williams' approach. I like the way that, you know, the versatility going back to last year and the adaptability is something that's really stuck out to me. I mean, at one point last year, it felt like he was on his way to becoming the running backs coach. Back at his alma mater at North Carolina, he was able to kind of flip things on the uh, on a dime, get back to Orchard Park, you know, finish out the season on the practice squad, keep working and earn an opportunity. And that's what you're going to have. And I know a lot of people are penciling in Brita as that third running back. Uh, and that might end up being the case. I mean, they brought him here for, you know, with his specific skill set, I would imagine, in mind. Uh, we talked to Brandon Bean about that uh, and Sean McDermott and something that they've, they've lauded Brita for. But I like... Williams versatility in his game. And I also like that he could do a couple of different things and Hey, 
you know, Zach Moss is coming off of a, a big time injury. You wonder how quickly he'll be able to be at full speed. So I anticipate Antonio Williams to still kind of be in the mix here with opportunities and chances. And in these practice settings, you know, when we get to training camp, the pads come on and they get a little bit more important. These, these are the kinds of, you know, lasting images that you leave in the coach in, in the minds of the coaching staff that matter when you get down to those 53 man roster decisions and whether or not, maybe it's not the 53 man roster decision. Maybe it's, you know, getting a, a spot on that practice squad and, and using him in a similar role as they did last year, have him be ready in case there's injuries. But we've also seen two guys in Singletary and Moss who, who tend to get injured a little bit. Yeah, very fair. And again, this team loves players that can contribute in multiple ways. He was a uh, special teams MVP at North Carolina, so he can contribute in that regard as well. So he could even push a Taiwan Jones uh, on this roster. A lot of people forget about Taiwan. He, he is a running back by position, uh, mostly there for his special team. So if the Bills really do like Antonio Williams, that could be his main competition in terms of landing on this 53-man roster and then uh, carving out some kind of role on the team. I've seen some uh, comments in here early on it, uh, about the defense. And, you know, that's basically what I started my story on last, last yesterday was, listen, this defense has been outplaying the offense. And it's good. And, it, and at the same time, I think if you're a fan, you, you like to see the defense kind of answering, you know, the bell here early on. It's a, de- it's a group that's very familiar with each other. Um, at the same time, I think that we do get a little bit carried away with what we're, you know, abs- actually discussing and diving into here. They're not wearing pads. It's not real football. The defense isn't really even, you know, hitting guys really. And and, and the battles up front are, are very, um, you know, watered down, uh, for lack of a better term. So, you know, defense has been making some splashy plays. And when those plays happen, you know – we're going to talk about him. And Matt Milano was asked about it yesterday. I mean, the energy from this defense, Ryan, it's obvious. And something we've been talking about in recent episodes about, you know, a defense that I believe has a bit of a chip on its shoulder, a defense that has a ton of continuity. They they're very, I mean, Milano said it yesterday, that back seven, if you count Taron Johnson as part of that mix, which, you know, judging by the starting lineup last year, you got to, you know, this, this back seven is pretty consistently played together for the last three seasons. And so there is a level of understanding of not only the playbook, but each other to really set this defense up. If they get an improvement, improved level of play from that defensive line to kind of hit the ground and, and running. And I believe Matt Milano and that this defense, you know, and this team in a lot of ways is ahead of the curve with not only the attendance at minicamp, full attendance these last two days, but also the continuity that they just have based on the roster construction. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that they have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder because, you know, 2017, the defense played a huge role in the Bills ending that playoff drought. 2019, same thing. The defense kind of care, helped carry the offense across the finish line, so to speak. So you, you get to last year and you're like, boy, if the offense is just a little bit better and the defense plays at the level they have been, this team can be a real threat. Well, the offense takes a huge leap and they're unbelievable, but it's the defense that takes a step back. If you can get both units playing, you know, the Bills of 2020 on offense and then uh, a little bit of that defense that we saw in 2017, 2018, 2019, then this team is going to be a real threat to go to the Super Bowl. Not only go to the Super Bowl, but win it all. That's how much talent they have on both sides of the ball. And that's how much potential they have on both sides of the ball. Mm -hmm. I wrote that Josh Allen, by my charting, 
and this is an inexact science because it's hard sometimes to tell which which um, plays are blown dead and which plays they run back. Like for instance, he threw an interception to Levi Wallace, which I have in our outline here, and um, it was I think that the defense was offside. Addison and, and Oliver were in on Allen pretty quickly, flushed him out. I don't think he probably throws that pass in a regular game. But, you know, because it's that practice setting. So you read that and you're probably like, and I didn't even put the interception in my story because there was just too many questions around how it transpired. And there's a lot of those kind of plays. But by my count, three for 12 for Josh Allen, he started off slow. You know, there weren't a lot of connection, but there's a big reason why. And it's one of the guys I want to talk about right now. There was a concerted effort yesterday to maybe work on that chemistry between Emmanuel Sanders and Josh Allen. This is only the uh, second week worth of practices that Sanders and Allen have been around each other. He was there for week two of OTAs. He wasn't there week one and week three, just like Stefan Diggs. And so they were taking some chances and there was a, there was a few plays where, you know, you could just tell that they're just not in sync yet. There was one play where, you know, he was kind of over, over the middle you know, he, he thought the route called for him to, to move a little bit towards his left after the break. Josh Allen thought he was going to his right. He threw it right past, like five yards of, of space in between them. You know, there was another play later on in practice where he um, he threw Josh Allen threw a gorgeous ball and he made a great move. He lost Levi Wallace, had the ball right in his chest and he just dropped it. So that was another kind of like, oh, man, like if you're, you know, sitting there watching that, if you're a Bills fan, you're like, oh, that's the catch that you want to see a 34-year-old vet wide receiver make in that situation in Emmanuel Sanders, but still getting his feet wet, still getting comfortable. I mean, this is really probably, he's probably only had five or, this is probably his fifth or sixth practice as a Bill. So again, not over any of this stuff. I mean, it's not over, it's not anything to be scared about or nervous about. It's the beginning stages of this. The other play I want to mention before I turn it over to you, Ryan, was this is where I could really tell they were they were forcing the issue because, you know, uh, they, they ran a play during an 11-on-11 drill. Sanders kind of broke in, uh, you know, I would say maybe 15 yards down the field, and Allen really tried to force it into him. They had a couple plays where it wasn't working, so he's like, I'm going to get the ball to Sanders in this spot. I like it. I'm going to be aggressive. I'm going to take a chance. Well, Tremaine Edmonds was all over it. He broke on the ball. He had perfect positioning. The problem is, and I know fans might not want to hear this, he dropped the interception. And this is something that's kind of, you know, become a, a little bit of a narrative with him is not being able to make those plays, you know, being around the ball oftentimes in the passing game and not making the play. He darted off the field and did about 10, maybe 10 or 15 push-ups uh, as penance uh, for his mistake. But a great play for the defense to break it up on a play that he was going for Emmanuel Sanders. I just think it's, it's just a – the type of thing that I wouldn't be surprised if Allen and Sanders don't link up with other teammates at, at some point over the next six weeks, continue to build that chemistry. Cause it's going to need to be built. Yeah. That, that's just it. The, the chemistry is not there yet. They need some time to work on it, develop it. So uh, I wouldn't read too much into Josh's day or Emmanuel Sanders drop anything like that. Give that some time in the defense. They're smart guys. They probably, you know, had a good inkling or good idea that Allen was going to be targeting Sanders early and often. So uh, it allowed them to kind of sit on some routes and try to get those interceptions. Uh, so it, it's a smart all-around team. They probably knew what Allen's plan was. And practice is the perfect time, by the way, for Allen to be aggressive as well and try different things and, and to try to zip some passes in. Uh, because at the end of the day, these stats don't count toward anything. So uh, work on that rapport, work on that chemistry. And then by week one, I'm sure they'll be on the same page. 
Yeah, so uh, opposite of Allen, Mitchell Trubisky, he had himself a, a really solid day. And I don't want to overstate it here. I mean, there was uh, opposed to what Allen was doing. I didn't I didn't really necessarily notice a lot of chances that Mitchell Trubisky was taking. It's kind of more of the same, but you know, you're executing the offense and at this stage of things, that's what you want to see out of your quarterback. And he made a couple tight uh, uh a good throw, one on a real tight window throw that I thought uh, kind of threaded the threaded the needle, and, and he just made a, a really good play. And that's something that you know we talked about it a couple of times. I'm going back to my notes here uh, because uh, you know this happened yesterday, Ryan, and I, I got to say that my my memory here does isn't really ser- serving me well. He threw the ball to, to Antonio Williams on that one touchdown uh, that I mentioned. He also I, I kind of have it bro- broken up here uh, into each play. It was actually to Brandon Powell, uh, who you know Brandon Powell's got himself you know, pretty involved offensively. Like he, it, it almost reminds me a lot of what Andre Roberts has done, you know, the last couple of years during these camps periods where, you know, you'd think of him as the kick returner, uh, you know, in Powell's case, competing for a kick return job. And you, you tend to see him a lot out there on offense. And Brandon Powell has been making plays when, you know, they've been, they've been uh, there to be made. So that's a, an interesting nugget there that I think people should know. There was another play, um, Two plays during one of the four uh, 11 on 11 segments. Um, he, he went to Kumaro uh, in a uh, one-on-one situation in the end zone. And he was up against Josh Thomas, who another one of these young secondary players. There's a couple of UDFAs. Uh, Josh Thomas goes up there playing in a red non-contact jersey, uh, rips the ball out, incompletion, uh, touchdown. Jesus isn't able to haul it in. And, you know, Matt Milano, we talked to him yesterday. He was the one bill we got uh, after practice. And he specifically mentioned Nick McLeod, who we've been talking about the past couple of weeks. A lot of these young secondary players, Tariq Thompson is another player, um, you know, Nick McLeod, Rashad Wild Goose, they're making an impact here early on. And I think that, you know, from a Bills perspective, who haven't gone out and brought in a veteran uh, person in either any of the secondary positions, safety either, uh, that really maybe, you know, backs up you know, what they were thinking going into this whole thing. Yeah, we, we've talked about this. They, I think they feel that they can really develop these young players in the secondary. Uh, and, and to their credit, you can look at Levi Wallace. You can look at Dane Jackson. You can uh, – it's harder with the safeties because they've had Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer since day one, and these guys were veterans who have uh, come in and obviously taken their games to another level, especially Poyer from where he was – uh, earlier in his career, but they've had that established. But they've had younger Jaquan Johnson, who's kind of waiting in the wings for an opportunity. And you have Taron Johnson at corner, Saran Neal. The list goes on and on. They've had some success stories already. So I'm sure they feel pretty confident about what they can and cannot do at that position uh, or the secondary overall. And, and right now, it's hard to doubt them just because of the success that they have had. Indeed. If you are joining us for the first time, welcome. This is the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast brought to you by Tops, uh, your neighborhood store with more. And um, back on board for another season. We're so excited. I actually have to do – I'll get better at this as we go, but we're going to be doing some reads for Tops this year. Tops Fresh Burger Bar with over 30 varieties of beef, turkey, chicken, plant-based, and gourmet blend burgers ready to grill. Tops Fresh Burger Bar has you smiling all summer long. And I got to be honest with you. I've been a long time stand of tops, uh, ground beef. I always go there to, 
uh, quickly to get my uh, burger meat. And uh, we're actually going to be, we got some in the fridge. We're going to be getting after it tomorrow night. So I'm excited about that. A nice little Friday night on the grill, summer in Buffalo. It is a beautiful thing. Um, let's get into uh, this defense a little bit more. Uh, and, and I know that a couple people have mentioned, you know, I see some chat in here on Cole Beasley, and he obviously was in the news today. We're going to touch on that at the end of the show. So a little bit of a cliffhanger there, but stay tuned. We'll, we will not leave you hanging there. We'll get into that before we get out of here. Um, you know, the defense has been playing really well at all, you know, three levels. You know, it you, you can see the familiarity. And even what I think is more impressive is the guys that are new, you know, uh, Gregory Rousseau and Boogie Basham, the rookies. Um, Starla Toulet has not been really in the mix in team drills uh, this week. Uh, they're, they've, they're obviously bringing him back slow. And Sean McDermott even mentioned it. You know, he's got a long way to go before he's back even in football shape. I know he's been doing a lot of training, but, you know, they're probably going to want him to put some more weight on. And, you know, the veterans, you know, for the most part, you know, Hughes and Addison were out there and they were participating, like I mentioned, but, you know, definitely dial back. I mean, this is this is a period where you, you really can get a ton of reps for guys like Greg Rousseau and Boogie Basham and A.J. Epinesa, guys that you really want to rely on this year. And that's, you know, it goes back to what Brandon Bean said. Like, yeah, we made some of these picks for the future, but we made them for this year too. Uh, the one guy to me that has stood out really, though, the battles have been so fun to watch, as always. Tredavious White made a couple big plays yesterday. He's already in midseason form. And, you know, sometimes I sit back, Ryan, and I think we, we spend so much time talking about CB2, and rightfully so. I mean, listen, what wherever you stand in that, in that, in that discussion, whatever camp you're in, they need more help. Uh, they're set with what they have it's easy to forget that they are really set at what they have at CB one and Tredavious white, you know, I'll, I'll be excited to get a chance to chat with him as we move through training camp and, and maybe even tap into how healthy he was last year. I, I really, I still kind of sit back and wonder how much that injury kind of nagged him, whatever kept him out of the Tennessee game throughout the season. He just didn't at times didn't look right. And so I'll be interested to see, how that, how he answers that Matt Milano said when he got back from that injury, yes, uh, last year, he was a hundred percent. He, he didn't want any part of any excuses uh, when we talked to him yesterday, but Tredavious White has looked just like the Tredavious White that everybody's come to, you know, see and know making plays against Stefan Diggs. Those, hmm. those battles in practice, they're already at that intensity level that we saw last year and the pads aren't even on yet. And so, I feel like both guys are just chomping the bit. We mentioned the energy on the defensive side. There was energy on the offensive side too. I don't want to downplay that. Stephon Diggs, right before 11 on 11 started, he kind of meandered his way over to the defensive huddle, really the defensive sideline. And there was a little bit of chirping back and forth, like getting things like amped up. And Stephon Diggs, we know, always brings the energy. But that was, you know, those are some fun battles. And, and Tredavious White, man, sometimes I think you just, you take them for granted a little bit. Yeah, and the old saying, iron sharpens iron. So having those two go at it, it's only going to make both of them better in their respective games, route running for digs, uh, you know, coverage for, for White. So it's great to have those two going at it already. And, and when you talk about Trey White, you're right. Last year was not his banner year. It did seem like he was a little bit off. He was giving up some more receptions than you come to uh, expect almost because he's played at such a high level. But at the same time, I think White's excellence over the early part of his career has really made that whole conversation about cornerback two 
uh, so relevant over the last few years. Well, are the Bills going to be okay with insert whatever player is in there, EJ Gaines, Levi Wallace, this, that, or the other? Because when you have a true number one cornerback, such as Trey White, teams are going to go after your number two early and often. If a team doesn't have a true number one, they both get attacked uh, a fair amount, and we've seen that. With the Bills, they throw at Trey White a little bit here and there, but for the most part, a lot of the action goes to the other side of the field. So it's almost like his excellence as well over the early part of his career has played a role in these conversations that we have every single year on cornerback two, and can that person hold up and fare well and do their job? Uh, another update. Um, uh, let's let's stay on the defensive side, and then we'll flip over to offense uh, before we move along. Uh, Gregory Rousseau, another big practice, and this is the guy that you know we talk so much around the draft time about Boogie Basham being the guy that just looks so much more pro ready. You break down his film, you figure in the fact that he played football last year. You know, every step of the way since rookie minicamp, all the way through the last practice yesterday of of, of you know, mandatory minicamp. Rousseau has looked apart. And that's what I, what I wrote yesterday. He hasn't been, you know, out of his element at all. It didn't, it hasn't seemed like that. He, he's had some really good one-on-one battles. One in particular that I wrote about yesterday was against Daryl Williams. So we're talking out about a guy, you know, where I, I, I'm, I'd, I'd be hesitant to say that he won the rep, but it was a battle and, 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 and he had an advantage at a, at a time during that battle. And that's a, a huge sign against a guy last year that absolutely shut, shut, shut down TJ Watt in that Pittsburgh Steelers game. That tells you a lot about, you know, the, the, the amount of information and experience Gregory Rousseau is picking up early on in this, in, in this process. And Leslie Frazier actually said, when we talked to him two weeks ago, it's very rare that you get a guy in the classroom, like in the meeting rooms, you, 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 you tell him, you know, uh, you teach him something and you, you get him up to speed on something and then you get out to the grass and you and they're able to implement that right away without the excessive amounts of repetitions. Most guys need those repetitions. And early on, what the coaching staff has learned about Gregory Rousseau is you tell him something, and then he finds a way to take that out, out to the field and apply it and and make an impact. And he's made that so far. Yeah, and that's huge. And that's what the Bills need. They need someone that can come in here, learn. Uh, under your Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison's, but also make an impact as a rookie. They're not asking this guy to come in and get 10 sacks as a rookie. Same with Boogie Basham, but they want them to contribute early. And you just said it a few minutes ago, these camps, uh, the OTAs, the mini camps, this is the perfect time to get those young guys the reps to see where they're at, how far they've come along in the case of A.J. Epineza from year one to year two. Uh, but with Rousseau and Boogie Basham, get an idea of what they can and cannot do or what they do really well. How can you implement that? How can you use them? Can you kick them inside, like, especially a guy like Boogie Basham? You still have F.A. Obata, who's older, but in terms of NFL age, hasn't played in the league that long. So they have a lot of different interesting options. Daryl Johnson is another name uh, that they have that, that they like quite a bit. So it's really interesting to see how much talent they have None of those names necessarily jump off the page as a superstar edge rusher. There's no Miles Garrett there right now. But one of these young guys could come along. And again, I'm not saying they're going to be Miles Garrett, but they could turn into a true pass uh, rush threat. And that's exactly what this defense needs. It's, it's been that missing piece for the last few seasons. Yeah, take a couple of questions here. I see a couple in the in the comments here. Thank you, guys. You guys have been very active on YouTube. Uh, I tell people all the time. Hit that subscribe button if you're watching on your phone or your desktop. 
what I love YouTube because I lo- I watch a lot of content like on my TV because I have the YouTube app right on my smart TV and dial it up in the morning. I end up watching like NBA highlights, talk show, talk show clips. I watch a lot of Joe Rogan, different stuff that anything that you like, you just, you know, uh, subscribe to their page and it, it kind of curates it for you. Almost like, you know, for, in, in the cord cutting generation, I mean, the YouTube app is uh, like gold. So definitely hit that subscribe button. If you haven't already, you can watch us on your big screen. Uh, uh, we appreciate it. Uh, Chris Spencer asked, how has, uh, uh, DeMar Hamlin looked? We need to be sure we have some safety, safety depth with how aggressive Poyer's play is. It would be nice to have that next man up ready. And that is a great, uh, observation or, or a great take. If you will, I haven't noticed DeMar Hamlin too much. And I don't think that that's necessarily a problem at this stage. I think a lot of young players, as many of the young players that have been able to make plays, at the safety position, you got to be in the right place at the right time. And remember, depending on what part of the practice there is, you know, if you're not out there for, um, you know, a play where, you know, you're in the mix, like I mentioned, Josh Thomas um, making that play against Jake Kumaro. Well, that just happened to be a play where he was in the mix as a safety on, on one. I, I don't know if I could, the only other safety that I would, I would say was involved in a pass play. Uh, that really stood out was Jordan Poyer earlier in practice. So that's two in the whole practice. Josh Allen looked to, you know, fire it in a uh, nice loft pass to Dawson Knox. And actually let me bring that up here if I have it because it was a nice pass and there was some pressure from somebody. Let me see if I can find this here. Um, Look at me, Ryan, going to my you're, uh, you're going my to handy, notes. my handy dandy notebook. Um, it was a really good throw, and I wrote it down. Uh, Rousseau, that was the that was the rep against Daryl Williams when um, you know I think the pressure was coming from Rousseau, and Allen wanted to get a little bit of it a little bit earlier than he wanted to. Put a nice ball out there to Dawson Knox, but 50-50 ball and Jordan Poyer, uh, the veteran safety that uh, you know that's not his first rodeo. He made a play and knocked it down. So, you know, I haven't seen DeMar Hamlin a ton, but I wouldn't worry too much about it. Yeah, well said. You know, right now it's almost a good thing because there's only limited opportunities like you mentioned. And, and the only the opposite of that would be you'd be noticing him for doing something wrong. So he hasn't done anything wrong. He hasn't been out of place. He hasn't uh, – he's looked the part, so to speak, and, and that's a good thing. So it's early. Wait till training camp. As training camp comes along, I'm sure there will be plenty of DeMar Hamlin talk to be had. Um, there we go. Look at this. Jason Taylor live on the YouTube app on my TV right now. He's watching us. There's Bill's content every, every night. And that is true. There is a lot of Bill's content out there. So, uh, make sure that you're making the right choice when you're taking in some of that content. And I had this in here and I want to bring it up and Ryan, you know, me like the both of us, we do tons of podcasts and interviews. I am a big supporter of the content creation community. I feel in a lot of ways, you know, I'm a credentialed media member, but I feel like I'm this weird crossover, you know, we're this crossover between the two. And um, we like that being in that space. You know, I, I've been on so many different shows, but I also do caution you like, you know, shout out to Dan Mitchell. I caught his show the other night because he actually used my observations article yesterday, cited it, went through it, and very cool. Like, I, I, I think that that's part, that's what this is all here for. It's part of the conversation. But make sure you really have it dialed in and you're paying attention to what everybody's saying. Because sometimes I have noticed that as much as I do participate in it, I, I consume a lot of it too, just to, you know, get a feel for, 
you know, a lot of times these are fans doing these shows. And so for me, I always like to have my finger on the pulse of the fan. And I've noticed then, and this is not a particular shot at anybody in particular, but I've noticed in, in different times, you know, just some, some faulty information out there, or, you know, maybe some people talking about things that, you know, it doesn't really add up. So just make sure that you're, you know, and I know that we have a lot of astute Bills fans in here. Make sure you have it locked on uh, at all times, but just a little note. <laughs> well said, like, uh, like you said, uh, sometimes, if, especially if it's from the fan perspective, sometimes opinion can take over uh, opinions that they may have on a player already. So it, it's really important to be locked in on those that are there, such as Matt, such as these other credentialed media members uh, to get to, you know, the latest and most accurate up to date information. But hey, I'm not knocking it because I watch a lot of it and I think a lot of people do a, a really good show. I'm doing I'm doing a full circuit, Ryan. I'm going on UK Bills podcast on Sunday. Excited for that interview. Every time I get to chat to the guys uh, uh, over there in the UK, I'm doing train wreck tomorrow. I think it's the Bills, um, the Bills show that they have there. Bruce exclusive next Wednesday. I'm doing that show as well. I've done you know the Rico Report, Buffalo Fanatics. I was on with um, those guys. Uh, I've been on uh, you know I've done. We've had Greg, uh, Greg and Aaron on. Um, you know. I love the community, man. So it's, I guess it's just a, a, a little note uh, to, you know, pay attention to what you're watching because, and to what you're seeing shared on social media. I feel like I, my own example, Ryan, I was out of practice the other day. I'm going through my timeline and I retweeted something from a fake media account about Tua. He said he had nine interceptions or something like that. And <laughs> listen, I was at practice. I was busy. But, you know, you can kind of get caught – you can kind of get caught up in some of that stuff. So, anyway, let's move on. Let's talk about some more bills. I want to get back to the offensive side of the ball. I've seen in the comments section a couple times asking about the young offensive lineman. And in particular, yesterday, the young fifth-round draft pick, Tommy Doyle, didn't have the, the strongest day. And there was two reps back-to-back where he went up against Mike Love and then A.J. Epinesa on the next play. And he was just overpowered. He was overmatched. Uh, he looked like a fifth round draft pick in his fourth week of, you know, camp practices, still looking to kind of get his footing. And, you know, I think going up against guys like, especially a guy like Mike Love, who's sneaky, much more of a veteran than I think the casual fan really understands. I mean, this guy has been in the mix towards the end of roster cutdown for what, the last three seasons. He had the one year we was out, but this is a guy that's flashed and popped plenty and he's a guy that's just kind of been waiting in the wings for an opportunity and that you know working towards that he's a really good nfl you know bottom of the roster caliber player and who knows maybe more he hasn't had an opportunity to show and when you're going up against him as a young offensive lineman in practice you better get your big boy pants on because it's going to be a battle he lost that one to mike love and then aj epinesa you know i try to pick my words properly here but he definitely schooled the youngster a little bit. It was a really nice rest, rep from Epinesa to the point where Sean McDermott actually sent AJ Epinesa off the field. I think he wanted to get somebody in, maybe lower down the, the – there's no depth chart this time of year, but somebody else that may, might give uh, the young rookie a better look. But, you know, something to pass along where I feel like that, um, you know, I haven't noticed it as much, those big-time wins for the defender against Spencer Brown. Uh, I have seen it written about by some of my colleagues. I think one once or twice last week or the last week of OTAs, but for Doyle, I've seen it a few times now and had to write about it yesterday. 
Yeah, and you know, like you said, fifth round pick. So someone taken on day three. They they took him for the athleticism, the fact that he has uh, plenty of playing experience at a smaller school, mind you, Miami of Ohio. But that's someone that they want to develop. He's not someone that they're expecting most likely to see on the field much this season. Uh, maybe he'll be a swing tackle at some point if there's an injury here or there and someone gets moved around. But realistically, don't you know you're not going to see much out of him. You want they want to develop this guy. They they think that they they like what they have obviously in their starters. They like what they have in Spencer Brown, Bobby Hart's there as an option as well. So it, there is a pecking order in place. And right now, Tommy Doyle is toward the bottom of that. So they, they like him, but don't you know don't read too much into that either because this is someone that they want to develop and bring along and hope that he's ready most likely by 2022 indeed uh another uh offensive player and then a defensive player reminded me to get uh back to that because i did have a note in here that i want to pass along uh before we move on to uh a dolphins conversation and also uh we'll wrap up with cole beasley so Quentin Morris, we've been talking about him dating back to rookie minicamp, if you remember, Ryan. It wasn't anything necessarily that he did. It was more of the way that he conducted himself at that point, like just watching him go through routes versus air. I was I was impressed with his you know speed, his quickness, especially at the tight end position. It, it stood out to me on the practice field at rookie minicamp. He's consistently been pretty solid, and Jacob Hollister – uh, hasn't practiced this week because he, I think he got dinged up last week in OTAs. He went for a diving catch, didn't really play much the rest of that practice. So something must have happened there. He has been out this week. And with him out and Reggie Gilliam, and he's in a red non contact jersey. I'm not sure what the injury is there. It's, you know, Quentin Morris, a lot like Antonio Williams, has, has gotten some chances. And, you know, he's had his moments where he's gotten a big league opportunity and, and he, went up against a big league opponent, like one play where uh, it was him against uh, Matt Milano uh, and, and Matt Milano won <laughs> and it expectedly. So, I mean, this is a, a veteran uh, borderline pro bowl caliber linebacker who just signed a big time extension. But then there was one play that I think it was uh, Jake Fromm uh, who, who whipped in a, a pretty quick pass. It might've been Trubisky. I'd have to go back and, and really scan through the notes, whipped it to Morris uh, quickly, who made a, a quick cutback move upfield and, and scored what probably would have been a touchdown. And, you know, that's a nice little move. Listen, it's hard to say if it would have been a touchdown or not. I mean, they're, they're not tackling. They're not really pursuing. But, you know, those are the kinds of plays where for a kid like this, you know, that's a big-time play. And Reggie Gilliam made a lot of those kinds of plays during training camp last year. And I think Quentin Morris so far has, you know, put his best foot forward to make, you know, an uh, – an impression on the coaching staff. And that's important. A few years ago, the Bills were getting dinged up left and right at tight end, and they brought in Nate Becker. And it was pretty, it was in the middle or toward the end of training camp, I want to say. And Becker did enough in those opportunities to make the practice squad. And he's kind of been hanging around since then. These little opportunities, the, these moments that the players get, go a long way in their longevity in the NFL. Now, the Bills have Knox, they have Hollister, they have Sweeney. There's obviously been, um, at least it feels like a million rumors about Zach Ertz coming to Buffalo. So <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of tight ends there, and there's a potential trade for one that we've heard a lot about. Uh, but Quentin Morris, in time, could have a role on this team. So it's going to start out, though, with taking advantage of these opportunities, making some plays that catch the coaching staff's attention and say, hey, listen, there's not a spot for him on this 53-man roster this year. 
but there's definitely a spot for him on that 16-man practice squad, which they're going to implement again this year. And if an injury occurs, maybe we do bring him up rather than look for a veteran because we see the raw talent. We see the potential. So it, it's an encouraging sign. It, it's a, he's an athletic tight end. He, he catches the ball pretty well. I uh, had a pretty productive college career, but obviously the competition maybe is what kind of hurt him in terms of why he was not drafted. Yeah, I think Gilliam, you know, there's a comment in here. Morris is Chris Spencer's asking, does Morris look like he can leapfrog over Gilliam? I think that that's the competition there, right? Those two guys. And really, that might be the competition for maybe like what you'd probably anticipate Tommy Sweeney's spot to be. And because I think right now, as you projected, you figure that probably Tommy Sweeney's in the driver's suite, seat, seventh round draft pick two years ago that really, you know, had a couple moments in his rookie season where he flashed. Uh, some of it was in the preseason, but, you know, we'll see how he comes back. We'll see where he's at from a health perspective. But I think Gilliam's going to be heavily in the mix. A lot of experience last year. NFL snaps, which is a huge deal. And then Quentin Morris. Uh, it'll be fun to watch him progress. On the defensive side of the ball, before we move on, um, this linebacker position, Ryan, past Milano and Klein and Tremaine Edmonds, there's a ton of depth. And – one of my big takeaways from this whole period in the spring is that this linebacker position is a lot better stocked with talent than it has been at any point in the last couple of years. I mean, you know, maybe there was a time when Lorenzo Alexander was here as, as Edmonds and Milano were still developing, developing, they had some depth, but this, I like Julian Stanford and, you know, some of the other players that they had, but this is a, this is a, a a roster that has players that are sneaky good at where you probably slot them. And one of those guys in particular is Joe Giles Harris. And he, he had a bit, his big first play uh, of, of the spring of, of a camp season. If you will, it was um, uh, Davis Webb was in at quarterback. He tried to throw a ball to Brandon Powell. It was kind of an awkward throw. I think it was, I, it's hard to put the blame on, on Webb or, or Powell. It was kind of an awkward throw. Then it, it took just an awkward deflection, the way that he had to try to switch his body, popped up in the air, and Giles Harris came flying in, diving catch, grabbed it, got bounced right back up, and flew down the field. I mean, you wrote a five things to know on this kid uh, coming over from the Jacksonville Jaguars. They loved him down here and there, and I think that a lot of Jaguars fans I, I was reading were kind of miffed at why they didn't make more of an effort to bring him back. You know, you talk about Tyrell Adams. AJ Klein is obviously in a in a really good position to make this roster. Marquell Lee, Andre Smith, who's got that versatility as a special team standout. There's going to be some battles at linebacker this summer. Yeah, Tyrell Dodson. I mean, the Tyrell list Dodson. goes on and on and on. Yeah, you're you're right, Giles Harris. I, I want to say the coaching turnover is probably what led to him not returning to Jacksonville, but he really came on when he was given the opportunity late last season when, when injuries took place. Uh, and he said that uh, Miles Jack really helped him in his career and his development of his game. So he's just one of those players, and there's probably thousands of them, that they they just need that opportunity. They, they were waiting in the wings, and then when and depth chart had him number three, number four, whatever the case would be, and when they finally had the opportunity in Antonio Williams last year, week 17, they took advantage of it. So – Giles Harris, you know, it wouldn't shock me if he makes this 53-man roster as linebacker depth. We talked about Adams out of Houston. He was a tackling machine. He has a shot. 
They like Dodson. You mentioned Klein. Klein is a pretty safe spot, too, based on his salary, based on his play as well. He did really come on last season after a really rough start. He turned things around. So there is a little bit more talent and depth there than I think a lot of people realize. Down in Miami, uh, the internet was set ablaze on Tuesday as the interception tally uh, ballooned to what I think finished at about five. I mistakenly retweeted a nine interception tweet from a fake account. I apologize. Got, got, I had to sit, I had to sit in the timeout for uh, an hour there, but um, you know, to a tough day in a torrential downpour, but you know, listening to Tua and Brian Flores talk about the mindset, I really like what Miami is doing down there. And I have questions about Tua. The questions about Tua that we both have had, have been well-documented on this program. But what I like is I think you have to spend this entire training period, the spring, training camp, the summer, preseason, putting Tua in uncomfortable situations, forcing the aggression out of him. Because once you get to the season, you can't have those moments anymore where you know Tua's kind of sitting on his hands and, and kind of being passive and waiting for, you know, the Ryan Fitzpatrick that is no longer on the roster roster to come in and save the day. You have to put him in uncomfortable positions now and see how he responds. And you read out of um, Miami that he had quite the uh, encore on day two. He performed better. He was making some good throws. And I think, listen, coming out of school, Tua was the fifth overall pick for a reason. I know the injury might've set him back. He didn't look right last year. I, I think that, I've I've gotten to the point where I th- I think Miami is the number two team in the AFC East. If I was projecting because of the questions at quarterback for New England, I like Miami's roster. I like what they've done at different times. I know Josh Allen has had their number, and I still like the Bills considerably considerably more, especially with the questions for Tua. But I think that there's all of a sudden, the more I think about it, a real chance for Tua to maybe take a step forward a la Josh Allen in his rookie season. I think Tua's rookie season was worse, much worse than Josh's. Uh, But what that step looked like, I don't know. But I definitely think they're doing the right kinds of things, building around the young quarterback and putting him in a position. I'm not nearly as comfortable writing off the Dolphins as as I'm seeing a little bit amongst Bills fans. Yeah, I think that's fair. And and you're right. They were playing in like monsoon-type conditions, Five interceptions are to be, you know, almost expected. Brissett had two of his own. Seven total is what I read. Uh, so it's going to happen, but you do want to see him get more aggressive and almost force the issue because look at that wide receiver room. They have Devontae Parker, who uh, really, when given the opportunities to make plays down the field, he does a really nice job of it. He, he did it against the Bills a few times last season. They added Will Fuller, who he is not a possession short receiver. He's a guy that can hurt you deep. They added Jalen Waddle. So they have a legit one through three there at wide receiver, Mike Gusecki at tight end. Now it's up to the quarterback play, and you have to force the issue, and there's no better time to do it than at practice. We just talked about that with Josh Allen in terms of building the rapport with Emmanuel Sanders. Do it now. Make the mistakes. Force some passes into tight windows because it doesn't matter at the end of the day what happens other than, you know, you might get bashed on Twitter. You might get teased a little bit there because that information comes out, but it doesn't go on your stat line. It's a good learning experience. So 
the the Dolphins are seem to be doing what's right for Tua right now in terms of getting him to really get out of that comfort zone. Don't worry about dropping it off. Try to stretch the field. Try to make those plays. Now, Xavier Howard, we'll see what happens there. It looks like he's holding out and maybe even could get traded. Um, and that would be a huge loss for the Dolphins. But at least at quarterback in this offense, they're they're trending in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So a story came out today. Um it was reported, let me bring it up here so I, I, I relay it correctly, that the uh, according to Albert Breer, I think Tom Palisaro was in on this as well, the Dolphins were one of now three teams that have crossed uh, the 85% threshold for player vaccinations, fully vaccinated or in the process of getting fully vaccinated, along with uh, the Broncos and the Saints. So three teams, the Dolphins, Broncos, and Saints, are looking like um, you know those kinds of potential relaxed protocols that we talked about for teams that reach that threshold. It's obviously been a hot topic uh, in, in the Bills media sphere uh, over the last couple of weeks, um, and we'll get into why that is in a second. But those are three teams right off the bat here. You know, early on, are going to walk into training camp with potentially the ability to operate like normal. And what that looks like, you know, uh, uh, we kind of have to wait to kind of find out what the NFL and NFLPA come up with, because, you know, from that perspective, you got you you could operate like normal, but you still have the vaccinated, unvaccinated players that have some protocols that they have to follow. We saw that that was put out there as well. And that's part of, you know, this story. Cole Beasley, you you put out a story today, Ryan. Uh, He went on a little bit of a Twitter spree. Uh, Talk a little bit about what he said. Yeah, you know, he was very upset with the NFLPA. He was very uh, vocal about his feelings on, on being unvaccinated in terms of what it means for him and what he can and cannot do. The NFLPA and the NFL agreed to uh, the protocols for the 2021. It looked like training camp and preseason, I'm sure, to get extended to the regular season as well. And, the, and there's things like the weight room. Uh, Cole Beasley can only be in the weight room when they're – or players that aren't vaccinated, I should say. Can only be in the weight room when there's – 15 or less players and well people who are vaccinated there's no limit you can't eat in the cafeteria with your peers you can't take on marketing opportunities there's a lot of restrictions in terms of what you can and cannot do so when you sit here and, and you look at a team like the dolphins who's hit, who have hit that 85 percent threshold who uh will have a little bit of a competitive advantage compared to a lot of these other teams going into the season it's definitely something that can benefit them in the long run. And I'm not going to sit here and say that if the Bills don't meet that threshold, they're not going to win the AFC East. They're not going to be able to repeat their 2020 uh, season in terms of their success. But there are going to be some disadvantages, and there's going to be some things to work around. There's going to be some issues possibly to be hashed out. Uh, so, it, you know, he, he was very vocal about it. I saw John Feliciano has been on the show, uh, you know, kind of stick up for his teammate. He did come out, though, on Twitter tonight and say, hey, I've, I've had the vaccination, but I respect the opinion of my teammates and what they say and what they think. And they and he also feels like the NFLPA maybe isn't listening to the players and they're kind of going ahead and agreeing to these things without a vote, without a, a long discussion about it with the people that they're representing. Mm-hmm. You know, the vaccination topic is – you know, it's super divisive, uh, you know, some vitriol just slinging around social media, you know, every day around the topic. And it's really become politicized, you know, heavily. And really, there's no way out of it, because no matter what you say about it now, 
you know, it, it takes that political tone almost immediately. But, you know, one of the things that's come up a lot is like, why do the media keep asking players? And whether whatever you think about whether a player should be asked if they're vaccinated or not, you know, that's not a conversation that, you know, I'm going to have here. Um, I don't have a problem with it. I think that, you know, if, if you're going to ask that question, you know, the player has the right not to answer it. And so, but I think that the larger issue here is, it is a football issue because it has the potential to impact football. Because if there is, there, there is a choice that Cole Beasley can make where he doesn't have to get vaccinated. Jordan Poyer, who's obviously been in the news because of Rachel Bush, he doesn't have to get vaccinated. Like nobody's forcing anybody to get vaccinated. What, what What's going to happen then is there's going to be a rule set, like it or not, if you're not uh, vaccinated. And that's just something that, you know, it seems like the Bills, the way that they've handled it with the internal discussions amongst Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean, and the players, that they've all kind of arrived on the fact that it's going to be each person to make their decision. We can we can put our best forward foot forward to explain how we're going to be impacted. And these protocols that were laid out yesterday in these reports, I mean, it's going to be a heavily impacted situation for players that aren't vaccinated. And that's why I think Sean McDermott has been so outspoken on the topic, coming forward and saying that he was vaccinated, coming forward and saying that the education process is continuing. And I think that the biggest issue that I think people have, and again, I don't want to get into a political slant with this because I don't feel like that that's my role necessarily to impart my take on the situation. I have it. I, I definitely have a take on what I think, you know, people should do when it comes to the vaccination. I've done some research. I've talked to medical expert, experts, personal friends and not personal friends, people, immunologists about what this vaccination means and what it's do, going to prevent. I have that take, but I'm, I'm fine with you having your belief. The problem is that I think what we're getting into is that, if you want to play football, if you want to have a chance to get through a season, what I think Sean McDermott and the Bills are trying to get across is if we are wholly vaccinated as a group, we take out the, the possibility of running into a situation like last year when Josh Norman had to miss a game, Levi Wallace had to miss a game. What happens? That's Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. You know what I mean? So I think that that's where he's coming from. And honestly, I've really respected the way that Sean McDermott has handled this whole thing. Yeah, and it's tough. It's tough if you're a player. It's tough if you're a coach. Uh, you have to be very careful about how you word things. You don't want to upset anyone in the locker room. Um, but, you know, he, he just recently said we're, we're trending in the right direction. He wants to, He's hoping that more people, you know, go and get that vaccination. And it's not for selfish reasons. It's for football reasons because of what you can and cannot do if you are vaccinated in terms of meetings, in terms of preparation. They've even gone as far as, say, coaches might not be able to be on the field uh, in games if, they, if they're not vaccinated. So it, these, these decisions are going to impact the game in multiple ways on the field, on game days, throughout the week, and preparations. So I, I think every team, not just the Bills, are, are trying to do their part to make sure players understand that. And, and obviously players, though, are, have every right to their own opinion on the matter as well. Indeed. Listen, we in this day and age, we've talked about it on the show multiple times. You can get the, the fight of it, you know, of a lot of these controversial topics anywhere you want to go on social media. I mean, it's the day and age that we live in. And I know a lot of people come here for Bill's talk and I like to keep it on Bill's talk, but 
this is a, a particular thing that Cole Beasley was passionate enough. There's been a united front from the Bills, especially on the player side, to not really discuss vaccination status. They've been asked about it pretty consistently. Josh Allen, uh, Jordan Poyer, just to name a few that have come out and said, listen, I'm not going to answer that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk too much about that. We're keeping that in-house. You know, Cole Beasley, you know, brought that conversation out of house on social media today because he's really passionate about it. And this is a, you know, it's going to be a bigger issue down the line if there's something that happens. I mean, we could get to the season and it could go off without a hitch and there and there could be no problem. And who knows, the Bills could hit this uh, this threshold, whatever it ends up being, and being in, in, in a situation where this doesn't impact it. But for I just want to kind of explain a little bit why you're still hearing these questions in press conferences because there is the potential, while COVID is still happening, that this could have an impact on football. Yeah, it, you mentioned it, Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs. If a premier playmaker for this team has to be uh, quarantined or pull off the field for a game or two weeks or something like that, it's going to impact Buffalo's record. It's going to impact their game planning. It's going to impact uh, their seating. It, you know, it goes a long way. So that's why the questions are being asked. That's why um, it's still such a hot topic, but it's also understandable why players feel like it's, you know, they're right not to disclose that information. I'm just knocking my uh, <laughs> entire thing here. All right, guys, that's going to do it for our final show of the off-season program. Um, we will be back. I'm not sure if we will have a show next week yet. Uh, I, I got a couple things floating around. Ryan and I have to powwow about our schedule for the next couple of weeks and figure out, uh, you know, some guests that we're, you know, we've been working on and some some different things like that. We're going to get back into the heavy uh, guest-oriented uh, podcast that I know you guys have come to. Uh, know and love so stay tuned for that keep it locked on the youtube channel because that's where you're first going to get the announcement of when the show is when it's going to go live um, we'll have so much to cover as we lead up to the season i'll have my final 53 man roster projection of the um, spring here that is going to come out on monday so stay tuned for that keep that in syracuse.com newyorkupstate.com if you want to read that maybe we'll even do a little uh, podcast to go along with that. We'll see where we're at next week. Maybe that'll be our podcast next week. And then we'll do a pod. Uh, we'll have our first interview one the following week. Ryan, final thought. Hit, hit us with it. Final thought. Uh, it's, it's been fun seeing what the Bills have been up to here in terms of the OTAs and now the mini camps. Uh, the, you know, it, the success that the team had one year ago going into this year, expectations have probably not been this high since we've been talking about those Super Bowl Bills. So, you know, just enjoy the ride. Ho hope that the Bills can stay on the right side of staying healthy, which they've been able to do pretty well over the last few seasons, because I think this team has the talent on both sides of the ball to make a real legitimate run for the Super Bowl. Tops, your neighborhood store with more is back as the official sponsor of Shout a Buffalo Bills football podcast. We're glad to have him on for the ride. Make sure you hit him up this weekend. If you guys are grilling, if you guys are, you know, having a get together a party, They'll, they'll, they'll stock you up. Thank you so much for watching. We will be back next week. Enjoy your weekend, everyone. Take care.